Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, April 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out what the state is doing to intervene in the growing number of child abuse cases. Plus, how one school-based program is declaring war on cigarettes. And after a Mississippi StoryCorps, hear the story of a Mississippi man hurt by the church that should have been there to protect him. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. of child abuse allegations is growing in Mississippi, says the Department of Child Protection Services. Statewide, there were some 48,000 reports of child abuse, neglect, and exploitation last year alone. The department tries to find ways to resolve issues while keeping children in the home. But even with those efforts, there are still around 5,000 kids in Mississippi's foster care system. Tanya Rogelio is with Child Protection Services. She talks with MPB's Jasmine Ellis about what the state is doing to address child abuse. Okay. Um, the Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services, or CPS, um, maintains a 24-hour 1-800-CHILD-ABUSE um, hotline, and so anytime anyone in the world um, calls that number, our 1-800 number, uh, they can make a report of child abuse, neglect, or exploitation. So that is how reports of abuse and neglect come into um, CPS. We receive them all through either the phone number, um, child abuse hotline, or it can be made online, and we actually have a, um, a cell phone app, reporting app. So um, one of those three ways can be used to make a report to CPS. In Mississippi, if you find out that there is a child who is currently being abused, what happens next? Do they go to foster care? How? What? What's the procedure for that? So after the report is made in one of the three ways I just mentioned, if the allegations meet the statutory criteria for child abuse or neglect in Mississippi, an investigation will be done. A CPS worker will assess the allegations to determine if they're true or not. And at the same time they're doing that incident-based investigation, 
they do a complete and holistic assessment of the family to determine, one, if the allegations of abuse, neglect, or exploitation are true, or two, if the family um, could benefit from any other services. Now, if there is abuse or neglect identified, no, removing the child to foster care is never our first option or the, the first thing we want to do. Um, yes, if the child's life is in danger, if it's an emergency situation where no other intervention would be effective, then foster care immediately is a possibility. But those situations are pretty rare. Our goal is to maintain that child safely in their home if at all possible. And about how many children in Mississippi have been abused? Talking about last federal fiscal year, we investigated allegations made against about 48,000 children in the state. So those are the number of children who were investigated for abuse. The number who had abuse substantiated, and I say abuse, but I'm talking about abuse, neglect, or exploitation, substantiated was 11,000. About how many children who, who, were, who have been abused are in foster care? Do you have numbers for that by any chance? Right now in Mississippi, we have about 4,800 children in foster care. So those children are provided with medical services, dental service, psychological services. We um, provide educational services. Like I said, an array of services are available to to help those children. What impact does abuse have on a child? As far as impact of abuse or neglect or exploitation on children, um, of course it creates a traumatic situation for children. And we're learning more and more about um, trauma and the long-term consequences of trauma on children. Um, So that's one of the big reasons or one of the biggest reasons where we try to maintain children safely in their home because we know that the trauma of removal um, is also, you know, many times is equal to the trauma of the abuse or neglect that they have suffered in the home. And what are some signs that a child is being abused? Of course, with physical abuse, most evident are the injuries. The child has unexplained marks or bruises especially in places where children don't typically have injuries. Children are um, forward-moving creatures, so we expect, we expect to see um, marks, bruises, cuts, and scrapes on the front of their bodies. But any injuries to the posterior or the rear side of a child are suspicious, um, especially those that, that look like something, you know, an implement that was used to hit them, belt marks, um, extension cord loops, you know, shoes, fly waters, um, things like that. So those visible injuries, any suspicious broken bones, pretty frequently we see head injuries, skull fractures in young children. So those are, are pretty obvious signs of physical abuse. Um, with neglect, um, children who are especially exceedingly dirty. We do know children have a tendency to get dirty. So just simply saying a child is dirty um, does not necessarily mean that they're neglected, but children who come to school um, dirty on a regular basis or hungry, you know, the failure, neglect is the failure to provide for the needs of the child, whether that's food, clothing, shelter. Um, So children who have 
shoes and clothing who don't, that don't fit, children who are malnourished, so those are some signs of neglect. Um, sexual abuse is more difficult. Sexual abuse is extremely insidious, and there aren't always signs or symptoms of sexual abuse. A change in personality, a child who's typically very outgoing who becomes withdrawn, or a child who is typically shy or quiet who um, starts being extremely disruptive, children who refuse to go home or don't want to go home where an abuser lives. Those are some of the the signs or symptoms of sexual abuse. Tanya Rohilia is with the Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services. Tanya, thank you so much for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. If you suspect child abuse, the number to call is 1-800-222-8000. Or you can go to the website mdcps.ms.gov. In other news, tobacco-related diseases like cancer and heart disease are common in the Mississippi Delta. MPB's Alexandra Watts goes to a school in the Delta to see how one program is trying to prevent kids from using tobacco. Who likes food that tastes good? Third-year medical students talk with fourth and fifth graders at Cleveland's Parks Elementary School about the effects of smoking. One of the things that tobacco, when you smoke, can do is it can make it where you can't taste your food as well, so then you don't really want to eat as much. This presentation is part of Tar Wars, a program put on by medical students from William Carey University in Hattiesburg. The goal is to prevent tobacco usage in younger people. Medical student Chelsea Eisenberg says bringing the program to the Delta is important because of the region's health problems. Mississippi, and particularly the Delta, is leading in a lot of pretty big health issues. Smoking is one of the biggest factors that come into play if we can reach kids at the young age before you know they might pick it up as a habit then maybe we can try and prevent diseases and cancers from being as rampant here in the delta eisenberg and another medical student say kids are starting to try vaping and e-cigarettes at a younger age too but student terry lee welch says he learned a lot and is prepared to fight back against any peer pressure i learned how bad smoking is and how it affects people's lives Pretty much everything about smoking is bad, and I wouldn't condone it. Tar Wars has been going to Mississippi schools for over 30 years. The program plans to expand to other areas of the Delta. Alexandra Watts, MPB News. Coming up, the story of a Mississippi man hurt by the church that should have been there to protect him. That's after a Mississippi Story Corps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Money Talks, you can always ask our financial advisors a question on any money matter during any show. But folks are reluctant when there's a special guest or a special topic. Our next show will be an open topic show. Please email money at mpbonline.org with your 401k or credit card questions. Give us a call with your charity or scam questions today at 10 a.m. Listen on MPB Think Radio or over the internet at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Making your voice heard. When it comes right down to it, that's one of the main points behind a project like StoryCorps. For Albert Sykes, it's an important lesson to pass on to his son, Aiden. 
That's why from a young age, Albert has exposed Aiden firsthand to the concept of peaceful protest. In this excerpt from the StoryCorps mobile tour in Mississippi, young Aiden asks his father about their protest activities. So, Dad, why do you take me to protest so much? I think I take you for a bunch of reasons. One is just that I want you to see what it looks like and feels like when people come together. And I don't think we ever been to two protests or uh, two gatherings that were about the same issue. So you've been with me when I've been places where it's been solely about education or where it's been solely about voting or where it's been about immigrant rights and so many different other issues. And I want you to see what it's like for people to come together, but also for you to see the diversity of, of reasons and issues that bring people together. So that when you start to figure out what you want to do with your life and you don't have to do it no way near similar to what um, I'm doing, but I do want you to be informed in the decisions you make in your life uh, and the different type of people that exist around us and the issues that exist around us. So regardless of if you decide that you want to uh, be a cab driver, then you got to be the most impactful cab driver uh, that you can possibly be and touch people's lives. Because some of the, and I said cab driver just as an example, but I've had some very interesting conversations in cabs all over this country uh learning about communities from people that's picking me up to take me from the airport uh to the hotel or, or you know picking me up from the hotel to take me to the airport uh the first protest i remember is going to a car wash with my dad <laughs> it was exciting helping and just getting to spend time with my dad. <laughs> it was about a fundraiser for YPP. So that wasn't a protest. <laughs> but I don't know. That was that was one event that you've yeah. been to, but that's not a protest. A, a protest is like the when we go to the places and the people have the signs and they talking on the microphone and you got a bunch of different speakers that's saying different stuff or when we marching or stuff like that. Those protests. Do. I don't remember not one of them. <laughs> okay. That was so long ago. <laughs> it was in the wake of Katrina and going down to New Orleans and really speak and Aiden was born in July of that year. Aiden you were yeah, you were born in July. Um and so we went to New Orleans, you were maybe what, four months, five months old. And um, being out there and really protesting the housing situation where folks who had been caught up in the storm and lost property in the storm, particularly their houses, wasn't able to come back to the city. And um, they were losing their houses. I mean, and this was in such a quick time. Like, people were losing their houses for tax reasons and missed mortgages on a house that's no longer standing. And so... I remember having Aiden, having you in my arms and just like wondering to be in 2005 and to see how racist things were um, in comparison to what I thought because I wasn't um, like I knew racism existed, but in so many different ways, I had never seen it as blatant as what I was seeing after Katrina. And to have you there, it made me think about what kind of world 
um, would I actually be leaving behind for you or what kind of world would I be helping shape um, throughout your life? And so I definitely remember what it was like to hold a baby and stand there in the middle of the aftermath of Katrina and not just to think about you, but to think about all the other little kids in New Orleans, uh, some who ain't fortunate enough to have their dad hold them through any situation. Um, but then also the, the it were kids that were just as young as you that were sitting on rooftops for two or three days uh, with their parents, you know, they're being breastfed by their mothers or whatever, and policemen would pass by whole families and not even help them. And it was kids that were, you know, five and six months old, just like you were, that lived through that ordeal. And so that was the first time I took you with me. Um, Then we've been to a few. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Palette to Palette is back with Chef Robert St. John and artist Wyatt Waters. This week on Palette to Palette, we're back in Mississippi. We go to the Mississippi Museum of Art to see a show. And to Cathead Distillery. And we go to Indianola to visit the B.B. King Museum. That's right. And then we go stay at the Louvain Hotel where we eat dinner. At Lusco's. That's right. And who plays? Eden Brent. Yep. It was a good day. That's Palette to Palette. Thursday at 730 on MPB Television. Hi, this is Bill Ellison, host of Grassroots on MPB. American music is like America, a beautiful blend. It might surprise you how many artists who are regulars on Grassroots are members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, there's Bob Wills, Leonard Cohen, Johnny Cash, Hank Williams, Bill Monroe, Bob Dylan, Pete Seeger, Chet Atkins, Joan Baez, Jimmy Rogers, The Grateful Dead, Woody Guthrie, Eric Clapton. My 30 seconds are up, so tune in Saturday night at 8 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A survivor of sexual abuse at the hands of a Catholic priest in Mississippi is speaking out about what he experienced. Mark Valencia of Jackson is 63 years old. He says he was abused back in the 1970s by a Catholic priest from the time he was 12 years old to age 15. Valencia shares his story with our Jasmine Ellis. I was 12 years old. I grew up in Shelby, Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta I was product of an Italian family. My grandfather came here from Italy, very devout Catholics. Prior to me meeting Bernard Haddock and the guy that molested me, all the priests were real stuffy and kind of aloof. He came to town and mesmerized everybody, got out in the community, didn't wear a collar all the time, was very charismatic and wide open, and you were just instantly attracted to that as a little boy. I was an altar boy server, and the next thing you know, a group of us would be invited over to the rectory and then overnight stays, and this was a process over months. And then the next thing you know, we're in the bed, and, you know, I didn't really know what was going on, and they started touching me, and then the next thing you know, there was a lot of other activity going on that continued to go on for several years. I didn't know what it was. He made us, and I wasn't the only one. The others have decided not to come forward, and I respect that. And I'll tell you why I was different. He uh, would have us go to confession to him 
after he traveled and went to confession to a priest in the next town. And as it turns out, that priest's name is on this list that got announced. And then after he would go to confession, he would have us go to confession. And I would ask, you know, what what do I confess? And he said, you have committed a sin of self-abuse. So the process of shaming and fear and manipulation was in full gear. And that probably ended around my 15th birthday. It could have gone on as far as 16. Do you mind naming your abuser? No, Bernard Haddikin. And was he on the, the list of names yes, he was. Like released? Yes, he was. And there's quite a, a bunch of manipulation going on with that list wrapped around Bernard Haddikin. The Catholic Diocese of Jackson released... I believe, 37 names of clergy members accused of abuse. What are your thoughts on that as you say your abuser is on this list? Well, my overall response to the list is it's way too late. The survivor community in SNAP in particular has been asking for release of clergy names and credible accusations have been made against them, and that's a whole other story. The word credible, it's all marginalized on that list. It's been sanitized. And just in two days, I revealed and was able to uncover in my little garage office four people that were left off that list. We've been waiting for this list for years. They know what they have there, and they've been manipulating it, and it's just a long time coming. It wouldn't have come out had not the brave results of a attorney general in Pennsylvania who did their grand jury report last August. But still, there's manipulation going on even within that list. Can you explain to me what you mean when you say manipulation going on? Okay. In the early 70s, around the time that I, this ended for me, my mother asked me if I would talk with my dad's oldest uncle, who was kind of the head of the family, sort of after my grandfather kind of backed off. I talked to my mother and my uncle and uh, told them what was going on and uh, kind of went on with my life. I didn't know what the results of that was. And many, many years later, I found out that my mother reported it at that time to the vicar general, Bernard Law, who actually became a cardinal and was basically run out of the States because of all his involvement in the cover-up. I didn't find this out till my mom was dying, so... That, that has its own impact. But then life went on. In 1985, I was in a crisis of personal issues, and I went to my parish priest and told, told him, please don't let me down here. I need some help. Uh, and by the way, I was molested when I was a kid by my parish priest, and he called the guy out. He said, was it Haddikin? And I said, yeah, I was astounded. And he had me call down here and talk to the vicar general then, uh, Frank Cosgrove. And I reported it in 85. They sent me to a psychologist in Vicksburg. I got upset, said I was going to take action. She berated me about how sinful that could be and damaging the church was the ultimate sin and just pushed me back into my dark hole. Blind faith, which I had and which so many Catholics have, is dangerous. And these people... They've gotten themselves in a mess over a long period of time, and as they cover this up, it gets more and more intense. But I think it's all coming out now slowly, and I think we're going to get to it because civil authorities are getting involved. And I I, want to say this. The reason it's so prominent in the Catholic Church 
is because there's no checks and balances. You can't speak out against the church. If you do, you'll be chastised and marginalized. A system that taught me as a child to fear the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. Being taught that in catechism as a youngster was very, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget how much of an impact that had on me. This is my goal in life now, is to tell people, you'll never get over it. You'll learn to deal with it. And the stronger you get, for me, the stronger I get and the more I can be vocal, the better I become. Mark Valencia is with the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. Mark, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Relatively Speaking from Southern Remedy. Did you miss the show, part of the show today? You can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. Or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio. for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. 